Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. We've been in a series called Parables, if you've been around, and, and we've been highlighting some of the teachings of Jesus that are found in the Gospels. And this morning, we're actually going to jump into Matthew 15, uh, which is interestingly enough not labeled a parable, but stay with me. The parable is actually hidden um, in the middle of this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the funny thing is that always kind of stands out to me is that it's actually Peter that asks the question, like, can you explain that parable to us? And if you've read the Gospels enough, you understand that Peter kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. He gets picked on a little bit. You know, he denied Jesus three times. Um, he, he, after he said he'd never do that, of course, he's like, I would never deny you, Jesus. And then he does it three times. Um, he wasn't the fastest disciple, right? John writes that, like, John beat him to the tomb, right? He's it's like, I'm faster than Peter was. Um, and Peter doesn't ex- understand the parable, that Jesus is teaching, right? It's just like, come on, Peter. So anyway, I find that to be funny. But anyway, in the top, very first verse of, we're going to use chapter 15 all the way through, but we're going to read 1 through 20. So bear with me. It's kind of a lot, but we're going to get through this, and you're going to be okay. All right. It says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. And so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then the disciples came and they said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander, and these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. If you're looking for a title this morning, if anyone cares... Some people don't, and that's fine. Uh, The title of this is called Good Religion, Bad Religion. The word religion has a stigma attached to it. It provokes a lot of different feelings and thoughts. And some of them are good, and some of them are not good. And usually, when things like the Pharisees are mentioned, 
um, we like to categorize them as religious people. And we say things like, religious people kill Jesus. Or you've also probably heard something like this, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And so I just want to define religion for you really quickly. We should have it up on the screens. Religion is a range of social cultural systems, including designated behaviors and practices, morals, beliefs, worldviews, texts, sanctified places, prophecies, and ethics. Religion in and of itself is not a bad thing. And especially when it comes to the life of a believer. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, right, in his epistle, in his letter, he puts it like this. If anyone thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion in and of itself is not bad. There is good religion, and there is bad religion. Sometimes we categorize Christian disciplines as religion. I don't do this because I'm not religious. But I want to remind you that habits and disciplines and systems are a good thing. They are very good. They are good for your soul. I grew up playing sports, mostly basketball and baseball. Uh, I grew up in the Michael Jordan era of basketball. It's the best era of basketball. But now you know how old I am, so there's that. Kobe Bryant was also another favorite of mine. And uh, even though these are both very gifted individuals when it comes to that sport, they also had a ridiculous amount of dis- disciplines and habits that they did every single day to become what we saw in games and highlights and all those other things. Um, and I don't want to belabor the point, so I'll just kind of give you some generalities about their disciplines. Two hours of weightlifting, and this is every day, six days a week. Two hours of weightlifting, two hours of cardio, two hours of in-the-gym basketball time, and probably two to four hours of watching film. They did not leave the court until they made over a thousand shots. I don't mean they shot a thousand, I mean they made over a thousand shots. So now you know why they were so good at what they did, because they did this for six days a week, all the time, right? There are disciplines and habits that every believer should actually be implementing into our lives. They will help you follow Jesus better. Did you know that? Prayer, scripture, worship, just like this, among other things. But here's the thing. You're already loved. Did you know that? You're already loved. He loved us while we were enemies. While we were far away, he loved us. And so doing these things doesn't make you more loved by God. But they will help you love God more. You'll see things differently when you've prayed, right? Sometimes prayer doesn't change the actual situation that you're praying into, and that's hard to wrestle with sometimes. But it will change you, definitely. The more you study the scripture, you will see the whole of God better. You'll see the whole plan better. You'll see things more clearly when you renewed your mind in the word. 
right? And something else that's of extreme importance is that you should also see people differently. You should see people differently. Good religion is to see and actually walk out the heart of God in his commandments. And bad religion is to only see the system and not the people, not the person. At the top of verse of chapter 15, it says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. The heart of bad religion is to be right for the sake of being right and nothing else. See, there had already been interactions with Jesus and the disciples. Jesus had already beat them at their own game. They've already tried this one time. They took probably a five to eight day round trip to ask Jesus this question so they could be right. Why don't your disciples wash their hands? This isn't like jumping in a car and driving eight hours, right? This is days and days and days of travel, probably on foot, maybe horseback, possibly, to try to trip something up. And here's the interesting thing is that the disciples weren't even required to wash their hands before they ate. They should have, and that's a good practice. Okay, we've, we've got some doctors in our congregation. I think they would probably agree, and parents. Um, but they were not required to by the law. This was only a requirement for the priests. And so the Pharisees had taken something that was not a, require, a requirement for everyone, and they put it on the disciples. And they turned it into something that was much bigger than it actually was. We do this, so why don't you? And it just comes down to preferences. Just a reminder to us, to myself, it's dangerous to put your preferences, if they don't match up with scripture, if they don't line up with the word of God on other people, right? Bad religion worships the system itself and not God. And it actually concerns itself more with what people think and what God thinks, the traditions and, of, and commandments of men versus the law of God. Bad religion is actually empty of the fear of God. And then in verse 3, he answered them, and he said, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's pretty intense. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. And so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Bad religion is self-serving. It serves itself and it doesn't serve people. And as Jesus normally he does, he doesn't actually answer their question until later. And, and if you kind of understand how this text is set up there's three different scenes and in that scene where he does answer it the pharisees aren't even there but the truth is is that they wouldn't have changed their minds nothing would have changed their minds because you may have experienced this and it can't be just me it's kind of rare for an argument to change someone's mind and i think it's like it's like 
times 10 if you're arguing on social media or maybe via text. You're not going to change anybody's mind. And so Jesus just goes to the real issue because what they were doing was telling people to give to the synagogue that they were in control of, in charge of. And if that meant that they couldn't take care of their elderly family, then that was okay because they were giving to the Lord. Which is bad, right? Is that, we don't need to spell that out, right? Bad religion dehumanizes people and it places a system which is meant to be for good and it turns it into its own God, apart from actual God. Because God commanded that we honor our father and mother, right? Amen? That's what I tell my kids all the time. This is what the Bible says. But it means a lot more than we think it does, and it means that we take care of them, our parents, when they get older and they're not able to take care of themselves. There's something natural about that, right? It kind of... This is hard if, if your parents are not the greatest parents, Right? But naturally speaking, this is a, a something that we should want to do as people, right? You exist because of your parents. You're here because of your parents. And then Jesus goes on and he says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. And this is a really difficult text. And I don't mean in like an interpretive sort of way. I mean, sometimes it can be really easy for us as readers to see one side of something. We see ourselves as Jesus and the disciples in this story, which is good, and that is very true. But along with that, I think has to come a good proper reflection good introspection about your own life. The psalmist in 139, he says it like this. Search me and know me and see if there is anything wicked hidden in me. And that's an interesting way to say it because wouldn't you know if you had something wicked inside of you? Not really. A person who truly seeks after the heart of God is going to read this and hopefully many other texts and hopefully say, Lord, is this me? Am I the Pharisee in this story? Because the truth is the text just isn't about Pharisees. But it's about the heart of people that can wander so far from God that they actually don't even know how far they've wandered. And so they're, they're doing all the right things, but they actually are worshiping in vain because they lost sight of why and who they are actually doing this for. We're here because of Jesus. Amen? And, and here's a little bit more of that, that text that Jesus referenced. Um, it's a prophetic text that the Lord actually spoke through the prophet Isaiah to Judah, the city of Jerusalem. This is Isaiah 1, 11 through 17. Hold on. It's going, to be, it's going to be rough. It says, What to me is the multitude 
of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. That is good religion. Amen? Amen. To love God and to love people. And it may not look like something that you're comfortable with. And God might ask you to do something that's out of your comfort zone. And by might, I mean he's absolutely going to. He absolutely will require you to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable when it comes to loving him and loving people. And I don't mean not biblical, but I mean sacrificial. And in verse 10, it says, And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And then the disciples came and they said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, then both will fall into a pit. Bad religion blinds you from seeing people and seeing the actual truth. Think about the entire story of Jesus' ministry, his conflict with the scribes, with the Pharisees. They, <clears throat> they knew about the miracles of Jesus. They actually witnessed firsthand the miracles of Jesus. And instead of going, wow, God is really doing something, it looks a little bit different than what I thought it would. It's making me a little bit uncomfortable. They said, that guy is healing on the Sabbath, and that's against the rules. And so Jesus reminds us to leave them alone. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste your time. That's a little good advice for arguments on social media as well. Save you some time typing, furiously texting. Engaging sometimes with people who are stuck is fruitless. It is a waste of your time. There are things in people that can only be accomplished actually through God's spirit working sovereignly. And so I, I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, and I ask myself this a lot. Do I pray as much as I talk? Do I pray as much as I argue? Even if it's just in your head. Even if you're one of those people who just fights in your head with people all the time. It's okay. 
It's a real thing. I understand. Do you pray as much as you argue? And then in verse 15, Peter says to him, explain the parable to us. Thank God for Peter. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Why do you think that this was so confusing to Peter? And definitely confusing, confusing to the rest of the, dis- the disciples. Even though it doesn't say it, they kind of threw Peter under the bus here. Peter's the one that asked the question. They didn't understand it either. Why do you think that is? It's because that simple phrase was so counter to the entire Jewish way of life at that time. If you've read through the story of of Exodus and you've warily made your way into Leviticus and you were like, whoa, what is going on here? Then you understand or you at least have a a picture of kind of the sacrificial system, the ceremony and, and all of that stuff. And and what it entailed and all the requirements of purity and holiness and clean and unclean. And let's just simplify by saying it's a lot. It's so much. So many things. And the disciples were immersed in this type of thought and in this type of culture. From a very young age, this is what they knew, right? And this is, again, kind of a side note, but the disciples were probably pretty young. Most scholars think they're between... There's some exceptions, but 15 years old, maybe even as young as 13, 13 to 30. So a couple exceptions in there, but they were young. And I think we forget sometimes that Jesus and the disciples were actually devout Jews. They were deeply religious. Jesus himself was deeply religious. He regularly worshiped in a Jewish communal worship in a synagogue. He preached from the Old Testament. He celebrated Jewish festivals. He went on a pilgrimage to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. He prayed regularly and he fasted. And aside, another side note here, but if Jesus needed to pray and fast... What does that say about what we should be doing a lot more of, probably? I know there's some prayer warriors in here. I'm not saying. I'm not getting religious, okay? But we should probably be praying 10,000 times more. (laughs) If Jesus needed to pray, we need to pray, okay? And so with just a few words, he unraveled something that was, like, foundational, right? They probably shook them to their core. It'd be like, modern Christians hearing something like, just because you go to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. I got quiet. (laughs) In verse 18, it continues, it says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Have you ever been betrayed by your heart? 
You don't have to answer that. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> we probably all have. Let's be, let's be honest. Have you ever said something that you wish you could take back? Was it this morning? <laughs> Sometimes we say things that we wish we could take, take back, and it's definitely too late to take it back, and you may have said something like, that's not what I meant. And sometimes words do get rearranged, right? And they come out kind of a jumbled mess. But on the other side, and I think what is more often true, is that your heart betrayed you. What was happening in here just made its way out. In the ancient Near East, the heart is actually the center of everything. And I think even today, most of us still consider that to be true, right? We're speaking metaphorically, not talking about literal hearts. And biblically speaking, the heart is where you feel emotions, you feel pain. The concept of a broken heart is actually like originally from biblical Hebrew. And you experience fear in your heart, you experience joy. The heart is where you make decisions based on your desires, right? You follow your heart. I got to follow my heart, the desires of your heart. It's the center of the human experience. And Proverbs puts it kind of like this. This is Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life, right? Everything is coming from your heart, your actions, your will, your emotion, all those things, this idea of a biblical heart. And yet you can't see it. And the idea behind it is, is mysterious, and it's meant to be mysterious because it represents things that are unseen in people's lives, the inner workings of every person. But the thing is, is that God requires everything, right? He wants all of you. It's not just empty actions. He wants the heart. And the truth is that he's the only one that's able to give us new hearts and clean hearts and hearts that are not made of stone. And throughout scripture, there's this thread that you can follow. And it starts with the prophet Jeremiah and he says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the truth is, we've probably all experienced that a little bit. Where we're like, wow, I did not see that coming. I didn't know that that was in his heart. I didn't know that that was in her heart. And most of you are probably familiar with King David's cry to the Lord after he committed adultery. And he's crying out to the Lord in song and he says, create in me a clean heart. Right? Because there's something in me that no matter what I do, it seems to go sideways. It seems to f fall away from the ways of the Lord. 
how do you fix something you can't see? It's not a car. It's not a house project or computer. How do you fix your own heart? You start with surrender. You give up. That sounds counterintuitive. (laughs) You quit wrestling with God and you lay your life down. And that's a supernatural work that only God can do inside of you. Thank God for new creation. Amen. Thank God that because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is actually living within us. He's living within you. We've been born again. We've actually been made new and we aren't slaves anymore. Amen. Amen. I love this next passage. We're kind of getting to the end of this chapter. It's a little bit misunderstood, but it also really illustrates a lot of the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees um, and Jesus actually fulfilling the law. Um, He didn't come to abolish it. He, He came to actually live it out and show us what it looks like in real life, right? And this is in verse 22. We're still in chapter 15. It says, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and they begged him, saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And so she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Amen. It's a beautiful story. Canaanites were enemies of Israel in the Old Testament, if you know your Old Testament well. I'm giving my wife a nod to this is, or somebody, this really subtle. <clears throat> they were a wicked, idolatrous people. They were descended from Noah's grandson, Canaan, uh, who was the son of Ham. And I'm not going to make a dad joke there. I didn't first service, and I'm not going to do it. So, I know, some of you are sad, but it's fine. Canaan was cursed because of his sin and his father's sin against Noah. And Jesus' response is really interesting to this Gentile woman, this woman who probably shouldn't have even been in his presence. Because at first he doesn't acknowledge her at all. And then the disciples are like, we need to do something about this. This is kind of getting out of control, right? And then when he does respond, it's a little confusing because he says, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. She's a Gentile, she's unclean. And Jesus was actually right in saying that wasn't his mission. It actually was not his mission at the time. But she persisted. She's not offended that he called her a dog, which, by the way, does not mean what we think it means. It's actually more of a term of endearment, like a puppy. 
Sometimes that's not better, but it is what it is. But here's the truth. Her pride was already laid down. She showed up with this in her heart. Have mercy on me, son of David. And then she came and she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And that's the posture of people who are really after the heart of God, right? I know who I am, and I know what I've done. I know what I'm capable of, and I know what's in my heart. Have mercy. I know that you're the only one that can fix it. Matthew repeats several times quotes from the book of Hosea. And it says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Good religion, it sees people, it's full of love, it's full of mercy and compassion and kindness. It's full of the goodness of God and the heart of God towards people and towards God himself. With that same grace and mercy that he's showed each and every one of us in this room, right? It's now our ministry to go and do that with other people. Did you know that? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, every believer. And now we have this ministry to show people that there is a different way to live. But I, but I think as we do, we, meet, we need to be reminded of this church. Is that God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. You don't beat pride with pride. It's the, Lord, it's the Lord's kindness that brings us to repentance. Amen? God uses the humble. He uses the weakness of the world to show that he's strong. I just want to read this to you. A lot of you, the second part of this is going to be really familiar. It's probably been in every wedding ceremony that's ever been done. But this is in 1 Corinthians 13. And it says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And this is the familiar part. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always preserves. Does anyone know the end? Love never fails. Love never fails.